John chapter number six. We'll continue to work through the book of John. And here we are. I debated this week hard. I said, do I want to cover the rest of John 6 in two sermons or three sermons? It's a long chapter. And I ultimately landed on three. So what that means for you is that today you get a little bit of a shorter sermon theoretically. I have, I have a few less pages of notes because I'm not covering, uh, you know, the, the half of the remainder of this chapter. I'm just covering, I guess, five or six verses here this morning. So uh, theoretically, it should be a little bit shorter and you may be able to beat some lines for the Mother's Day lunches somewhere. But don't, I'm, not, I'm not promising you anything. I'm just saying it could happen. John chapter number six, let's read verse 16 through 21. Following Jesus feeding the 5,000, this is now Jesus walking on water. Another very famous miracle. Luke does not give us uh, this account. But uh, Mark and Matthew do also give us this account. John gives us the shortest version of this account. Mark's is a bit longer. Uh, Matthew's is even longer than that and has even more detail. But we'll read it in John. John 6, verse 16. When even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus was not come unto them. So they've ministered all day. They go down to the sea. They're going to cross of the Sea of Galilee. It's dark outside. It's nighttime, and Jesus is not with them. The sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew, which the sea is prone to do that. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, so this is about three or four miles. You probably haven't um, measured things in terms of furlongs recently, but that's about three or four miles and they're rowing. So they must have been exhausted, right? They've ministered all day. Now they're rowing three or four miles. If you thought parking and getting in here was exhausting this morning, let me tell you, there's nothing like what they're, what they're doing. And it says, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship and they were afraid. So some will try to belittle this and, and kind of ignore the supernatural and say, you know what? I don't know that Jesus ever really walked on water. I think he was walking, they were close to the shore. Jesus was walking on the shore. It gave an illusion that he was walking on water. No, he walked on water. You say, that's unusual. I know, that's why they wrote it down, okay? So this is, they know it's unusual, all right? This is, it's what I call a miracle, not a Tuesday. Like it doesn't happen all the time. This is unusual. He walked on the water. But he saith unto them, it is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Well, what do we gather? What do we glean from this text? We're just going to kind of walk by it piece by piece and see what's happening and, and apply it to our own lives. And first, I'd like to start with the ultra happy Mother's Day message of storms are coming. Okay? Storms are coming. People for a long time have known that the sea in general, but the stormy sea in particular, is a symbol of life filled with these uncontrollable powers that really are beyond our grasp and beyond our comprehension. You know, you walk on land and every once in a while there could be some sort of natural disaster that will overtake you. Like it's possible that you're walking on land and an earthquake happens and swallows you up or a tornado comes and sweeps you up, but it's highly improbable and unlikely. But when you are on the sea, it doesn't happen occasionally, it happens constantly. That waves come, currents rise, and suddenly you're sunk. And the sea represents a, a far more uncontrollable sort of existence. That sea travel is much more fragile, it's much more dangerous, it's a much more difficult thing than land travel. It's even the same thing with predators. On land, if something's coming to eat you, if something's coming to chomp you, you know, you see it coming. 
It depends on the terrain. It depends on the size of the predator for sure. But by and large, you can see it coming. But when you're in the sea, darkness is upon the face of the deep. What does that mean? It means that you're not going to see it till the last minute, till that is right there upon you coming to bite you. So enjoy your vacation at the ocean this summer, right? Just remember that as you're trying to float or boogie board or something. <laughs> hey, you, you're not going to see it till the last minute. But the, the stormy sea represents the fact that our life is terrifying, that it's filled with these incomprehensible incompre- forces that very quickly, they, they sweep us up, they sink us, something comes in it and it bites us. Some of you are planners. Uh, that's the name that control freaks give to themselves to make themselves feel better. <laughs> I can relate a little bit. I'm, I'm a bit of that myself, but I'm a, I'm a quote unquote planner. And you especially need to know that storms are coming. I'm all for you planning your life. I'm all for you trying to, trying to hey, have this, 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 this. That'll lead to that. It'll domino into this, you know, making a game plan. I'm all for that. But you know what's represented in this room today is a whole lot of storms. A whole lot of storms. Some of you have had financial storms this year already. That I, you know what? I thought I was going to be debt free. I thought the things were going to be good, but all of a sudden the bottom fell out and I'm in crisis and I'm in a tailspin. Some of you have relational storms right now that, you know what? I thought we were friends and I don't know what happened, but it seems like now we're enemies and now they're after me and now they don't want to give me the time of day. Marital storms. It's not working out how I thought it was. You know, it was, it was happily ever after and now I'm signing papers and this just isn't supposed to be. Physical storms come upon us that I thought I was in good health. Everything was fine. I felt fine. But now the doctor's telling me this is serious. We have to be aggressive. There's something happening that, that we got to figure out or the doctor can't figure it out. I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying, but it feels like it's never going to end and I'm not going to get any answers. Vocationally, some of you have faced these storms. This year, you've heard I'm fired or you heard great review, but then the next month, the company folded and you no longer have a job. Parentally, Some of you as parents know what it's like for your bundle of joy to turn into your biggest source of anxiety and your biggest source of your lack of sleep because no matter what you did, they were just dead set on heading towards destruction and I want the prodigal to come home, but it's been a year or two or 10 or 20 and now it just seems like this is never gonna end. Some of you know storms of sorrow, that Mother's Day is kind of happy, but it's kind of sad because it makes me think about mom and she's not here anymore. Or it makes me think about how I want to be a mom, but I'm dealing with infertility or the miscarriages or all these things come at us. Life, storms. Romans 8 phrases it this way. It says that all of creation is on its tippy toes and is waiting with a bated breath the moment when we will be glorified, when we will be made new, and then all of creation will be transformed and made new. But until that time, it says that creation groans that the trees creak and the wolves howl and the waves crash and creation groans, wanting to be made new, wanting for this not to be anymore, wanting for the storms to end and for this to stop. Some of you know what it's like to have a storm that is just so, it's so far beyond your control and it's bigger than you. That row and row and row and row as you might, you're just not getting through it and it doesn't seem like you're ever going to reach shore that I've been trying and I'm, I'm, I'm putting everything I had into it and I wish that things were different, but I don't know that they're ever gonna be different. That for many of us is life. 
Jonah wrote of the storm that he was in. I think that the words he uses are so picturesque and so fitting of maybe what, what your soul would say. Very poetic language, but fitting language that Jonah cried out and he said this, thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the sea. The floods combast me about and all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Here I am in the middle and it's just wave after wave after wave coming over me time and time and time again. Then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters, they compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed round about me. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. What is Jonah saying? He's, he's straining language almost to its breaking point to say, I'm here and, I, and the waves are coming and they keep coming and I'm being pushed down further and further and further and further. And I don't think I'm coming up for air. This is not going to end. My soul is sinking. I'm drowning. That's what he's saying. Some of you know what that's like to feel that way. Undoubtedly, a good portion of the room would say, Pastor, I, do, I feel as though life is out of control. I feel as though I'm, I'm in a storm or I just came out of a storm or I can see one. It's, it's coming at me on the horizon. I just... I, I feel like I'm, I'm spinning a bit. We actually have a term for that called I'm at sea. What does I'm at sea mean? It means that I'm being pummeled. I'm confused. I don't exactly know what to do. Some of you would say though, pastor, I don't at all feel that way. I, I, I mean, I see how others feel that way, but I feel like life is kind of in control. Probably the younger you are, the more you'd feel that way. That you know what, I kind of, life is honky-dory right now. Things are great. I mean, little, little blips on the radar, but nothing big. Give it time, right? Happy Mother's Day. Give it time. I'm not trying to be depressing. It's just life. Storms are going to come. And if you think that your life is going good while other people's lives are falling apart, and that's because, you know what, we have the same storms, and I just know how to handle them, but they don't. That's why, that's why it's honky-dory for me and not for them. Because, you know, I'm wise, I'm savvy, I'm able to get through it. You know, I, I, I push through, I have a good work ethic, but there's other people probably, it's, it's their fault, it's their problem. That's why life isn't going the, the way that they, the way that it, it should go. You know, they have a lack of guts, they have a lack of wisdom, there's something with them. You fail to understand that life is a sea voyage, it's not a walk on land. Even your own heart is an incomprehensible deep. It's not like this neat little garden plot that you can just plan out and plant your seeds and, and everything go how, how you want. All of your success, all of your achievements, the things that, that are most important to you and dear to you can change in a moment with a phone call, with a day and a month that that can be, your tables can be flipped, your world can be turned upside down and a storm can hit you out of nowhere. Sometimes it even comes from your own heart that you think, I know my heart, I know my spouse's heart, I know my friend's heart, but up from the deep comes this slimy sea monster to, to chomp you that you never saw coming. And for many of us, if not all of us, that's life. And if you think that you can go through life without Jesus in the center of your boat, you're, you're in for a rude awakening. But it's not all pessimistic, okay? That's true. It is utterly true. But it is also true, and we see in this story, and this is really the whole point of the story, it's not like the guys were rowing and they worked hard and they sunk or they got there, the end. That's not it. It's that here comes Jesus, right? You see in this story the sovereignty and the power and the control of Jesus that's mind-boggling. 
as he walks on the water. And it would be one thing to walk on the water while it's calm and the sun's setting and it's just a glass, you know, and he's walking on the water. That would be awesome. But he's walking on the water in the middle of the storm. Like here he is just seemingly unfazed by these waves and this wind or the lightning or everything that's pelting these men. Here comes Jesus just taking a stroll, you know, whistling in the wind. Like this is nothing and what is phasing them is not phasing him. Absolute power over the forces of destruction, over death, over devastation, over all these things that the storm represents. You pair this with the story in Mark 4 where Jesus was sleeping in the boat on a different occasion and there was a storm and the disciples got scared and Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still. Be quiet and stay quiet is what he says. But Jesus doesn't roll up his sleeves. He doesn't, you know, start, start to, you know, say all these little phrases. He doesn't, hey, where's my rod? I need my source of power. No, he just stands up, shut up. <laughs> it stops. There, there's, this, there's this power here in Jesus that you see in this story as he shows power over all these forces that are overwhelming these men. And you have to understand that Jesus is sovereign over everything. But there's nothing outside of his control. There's nothing that he can't handle. And this is demonstrated in the text, not just by his actions, that he's just kind of walking along through the storm, but it's also demonstrated by his words. Now, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible where Jesus' words are in red, and if you don't, no worries. Like, you're not, that's no big deal. You're not, you know, handicapped because of it. But if you have a red letter edition, all that we read today in this text, you'd only find a few words in red, and that's in verse number 20. It is I, be not afraid. In, in the Greek, it's actually four words. It's I am no fear is what he says. It is I, be not afraid. Now, what is Jesus saying in this moment? Especially when he says, I am. The words are ego eimi. In John 8, we'll see this. I won't, I won't talk too long on this because we're going to hit it in a few weeks in John 8 where Jesus stands up and says, before Abraham was, I am. Ego me, I am. He's saying the same thing here. It's, it's fine to translate it. It is I. But he literally says, I am. What, what, what is he saying there? Why does this produce no fear inside of these men? You know, what, what kind of nonsense is it to say, I am? Like, yeah, there you are. Of course you are, right? Like, what does that mean? It means a lot, but it definitely means that, you know, I was has no bearing on this. It's not, uh, you know, there was a point in time where I wasn't and now I am. No, I just am. It means that I will be has no bearing on this, that I'm not changing. There's not a future version of me, an upgraded version that I'll always be the same. But I think most importantly, it just means that, that I am just because I am. That I'm not because of anything. I am what philosophy and, and theologians have called over the years the uncaused cause. Everything else is causal. It's caused by something. I am that something that has caused everything to be. I am the creator. I am the sustainer. I am, this is why Jesus is going to say, I am the bread of life and I am living water and, and all these, I am the door, I am the way, I am the truth. Why is he always saying I am? It's meaning that I don't, I don't exist because of something. Everything exists because of me. I am. Jesus is claiming for himself the divine name and he is, he is telling these guys clearly and he does this over and over again throughout the course of John's gospel that here's an enormous claim that I'm creator, I'm sustainer, I'm God, I am. He's not, he's not slogging through this storm or trying to wade through it in his, in his you know, as, as hard as he can. He's not straining here. He's, he's not just a source of power. He's not just a great source of power. 
He's not just the greatest source of power. He is what all power is derived from, that he has all power and any power in our world is on loan from him, that Jesus demonstrates here in no uncertain terms as he walks on the water, as he tells these guys, I am, don't be scared, that this is me, I'm powerful, let me in your life and I'll help you. I have ultimate authority, I have all power, I'm sovereign. The storms don't phase me. This is what William Billings said of Jesus and these men who did time with him and, and spent time with him. Not did time like prison, but you know, they spent time with him. The royal guest you entertain is not of common birth, but second in the great I am, the God of heaven and earth. And this is what's being communicated in this text through what Jesus is doing, through what Jesus is saying. To apply it to your life, no matter how deep the deep, no matter how high the waves, no matter how strong the wind, it's no match for Jesus. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus has absolute power. But what's interesting to me in this text is not just that there's storms and not just that Jesus has power. We've seen this kind of over and over again in different variety of ways throughout the course of John. What's interesting to me is that Jesus brings and calms an internal storm. If you read the text, the men get afraid at a particular point in time. The storm is there for sure. But many of these guys are experienced fishermen. They spend a lot of time on the Sea of Galilee. It's going to take a lot for, for a storm to get them to the place where they are scared of the storm. They're rowing. They're trying to get through it. You don't find in the text, nor in Mark, nor in Matthew, that they're scared of the storm. You find in all of those texts, in every account of the story, that they get scared when they see Jesus. That what happens is Jesus comes and all of a sudden, although there was power and there was something dangerous outside of them, there's not something inside of them that's fearing. But Jesus steps onto the scene and now they feel frightened. Now there's something bubbling up on the inside that's scary to them. Mark tells us exactly why. So does Matthew. He says, when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed that it had been a spirit and they cried out. Just cry it out doesn't mean like, hey, spirit, come here. It means, ah, you know, they cried out. They see Jesus walking. And why do they get scared of Jesus? Why do they get scared of Jesus? Because they misunderstand who he is and what he's doing. They misjudge the situation and they misjudge Jesus. And they think that he's something other than what, what he is. They think he's a spirit. They think he's a ghost. Then Jesus steps up and says, no, 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 I am no fear. It is I be not afraid. Now, here's the application, and I think it's very fitting. If Jesus scares you, you misunderstand him. Amen. And I've, I talk to people all the time, and they may not say it in these words, but more or less they say, Jesus scares me. I don't know that I'm willing to give him control of my life. I don't know that I'm willing to surrender, to wave the white flag, to just say, no holds barred, go ahead, Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, you take control. Why don't people do that? Because they're scared. Because they think I can't trust him. They think that, that something's going to happen. If I do that, it's going to be bad for me. That's going to be painful. I think if I let Jesus into my life and I surrender everything, then he's going to take my, my beach vacation and he's going to make me go on a mission trip instead. And who knows what he's going to do to me? Why should I surrender control to Jesus that I'm scared? You may not say it in those words, but that's more or less what people say. I meet people that, that get stuck right here. They won't believe on Jesus and put their faith in him as Savior because they say, you know what? The idea of life is tough. There are storms. 
I need help. Yeah, cool. I'm humble enough to admit that. I'll take help. I need it. Jesus, get in my boat. Be my assistant. I could use your power. I could use a little, you know, gas in my tank and wind in my sails. Come on, Jesus. But the idea of Jesus is God and he is I am and he's going to step in and he has absolute power and absolute control and that he gets to, he gets to take the helm. He gets, he gets to direct everything. He gets to be in control of this. That idea, yeah, no thank you, I'm out. I don't want to be hemmed in by Jesus. And the problem is that you misunderstand Jesus. You'll be no more hemmed in than a minnow is hemmed in by the ocean. You will, will there be boundaries and do's and don'ts? Yeah, but for your own good and your own freedom. For your own help. You do life with Jesus and you do it his way and you follow his commands and, and you... Even when it's tough, you obey him and you follow him and you surrender control to him. That is for your own good. Jesus can say, it's me. Don't be scared. Don't be scared of me. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not, I'm not going to sink your ship. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm actually here. You find when he gets in the boat that they just kind of boop, go to the other side and he brings them ashore right away. Now, when you, when you think of Jesus and who he is and what he can do. Here's the point. You cannot take what he offers you, but divorce it from who he is and who he says he is in his control. Those two are interlaced. You cannot separate them. You, you can't untangle what Jesus can give me, but just get it away from his power, his sovereignty, his control, the fact that he's God. You can't. They go together. They're interlaced. I'll illustrate. Jesus says, I will forgive all your sins. That's cool. That's, how many of you think that's awesome? He will forgive all your sins. That's awesome, right? Happy Mother's Day. That's fantastic. But who can say something like that? The sins against your mother, the sins against your father, the sins against your brother, your sister, your boss, your coworker, your neighbor, the sins against all of them, I get to forgive. Who can say something like that? Only the one who is above them all and says, you know what? I am the creator. They are my creatures. When you sin against a creature, you're sinning against me. So any offense you've done against your own heart, any offense you've done against your spouse, any offense against your own children, that's actually an offense against me. And I then can forgive all of it. You can't separate the two. To get forgiveness of all sins, you have to have someone that every sin you've ever done has been against him, making him God, right? Who can say, blank check to the world, deep soul satisfaction? Don't care who you are, where you come from, what time frame you live in, what culture you're from. I don't care, blank check, I'll give you deep soul satisfaction. That's awesome, by the way, to say that drink living water, you'll never thirst again. Eat, eat the living bread. You're never going to be hungry again. To say that I will give this to you is incredible. But the only way you can say something like that is if you understand that the whole world is dependent upon you, made for you, and there's something deep down that's always going to be missing unless you find Jesus. There's a Jesus-sized hole in all of our hearts. And unless you go after him, you're never going to be fully satisfied and only he can satisfy everyone. What he offers, the things that, that the world at large will look and say, yeah, that's awesome. I like what he says there. And I, that sounds fantastic. That sounds good. You can't separate it from the sovereign in control God. And sometimes that scares us half to death. If we're halfway honest, it does. 
Some of you know what this was like to become a Christian, that it seemed like the greatest deal in the world, but it was scary for you to just humbly admit that I need saving and my sin is a problem and to come to Jesus. I can definitely relate with that. But I just, it took me forever because I was so scared to step out and do that. Some of you know what it's like to be a Christian and to have storms in your life, but to be scared to really ask for his control and to surrender and to say, let me give this to you because there's something happening on the inside. And if that's happening on the inside, he wants to calm that and he wants to tell you, it's me. It's me. You don't got to be scared. You can trust me. You can let me in the boat. You can let me guide and it, it will not be to your disadvantage. This will be for your own good. So what do we do? Well, receive him. That's it. Receive Jesus. Verse 21 says, then they willingly received him into the ship. Not, okay, he didn't force himself upon them. Willingly, gladly, I'll take it. I'm scared, Jesus comes, he calms my fears, so now I willingly receive him into the ship. And then it says, and immediately the ship was at land whither they went. Now, he may just fast track your storm, he may not. That's, that's up to his control. That's why he has the helm and that's why you surrender it to him, but receive him. So, if you're a Christian, the application is this. Receive him into the boat for whatever you're going through or whatever you're gonna go through. It's better before the storm hits and you're, and you're really just about to sink and then calling out, it's better just to call out to him now and surrender control to him now before the storm even gets there. But call out. This is what Jonah did. We read the text from Jonah that he describes what was happening in his soul. But the verse before that says that Jonah, by reason of his affliction, he cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard his cry. What's Jonah saying? This storm, this affliction, this trouble pushed me over to God and made me cry out to him and he heard me and he came. Some people think that the fish swallowing Jonah was, was a divine punishment. Now, salvation and it was grace all the way. If, if there's something in your life that is troubling you, there's a storm, there's something bubbling up, there's fear on the inside, know that's designed to push you to God. It's designed to draw you closer to Jesus and call out and receive him and tell him, I need you. Turn to him. He's for you. You say, Pastor, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that he's not scary? How can I be sure that I can trust him? Very simply, did Jesus walk through every storm? Trick question. No, he did not. There was one storm that Jesus did not walk through. You could call it the storm of God's wrath. That on Calvary, the billows and the waves came over him, not him over them. That willingly, he surrendered. He took upon him the form of a servant, was made obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That willingly, he let the storm swallow him up. Why? So that you will never have to go through that storm. Jesus takes death and hell and swallows it so that you will never have to. And for that reason and that reason alone, I can give you a lot more. That's the only one that you need. God proved his love for you and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Amen. That proves I can trust him. That proves he's for me. 
that proves he loves me because he took on that storm. So whether you've never put your faith in Christ and you just need to, and you need to surrender and wave the white flag and say, Jesus, be my savior. I need you in my life. Or whether it's I'm going through something and I'm trying to, I'm rowing and rowing and rowing and I'm trying my best and I'm gonna get through it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna muscle this and I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna push through this, but you're not going to and you need to surrender to control to Jesus, do it. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful of that. He's for you, and you need, you need to allow him to bring you to shore. This is, I'll end with this. Little, a little bitty poem that, uh, that stuck in my head. His love in times past forbids me to think. He will leave me at last in troubles to sink. That's line one. What does it say? I look back and I see his love for me, especially as it's manifested on the cross. And that forbids me to think that he's going to leave me here and I'm going to sink. No way. No way. So what do we do? By prayer, let me wrestle, then he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. The only way that you can get through with the power and force and the peace in your heart that you're supposed to have through this storm, whatever it is you're going through, is to have Christ in your vessel. And if you need to accept him as Savior, do. If you have him as Savior, but you're, you, you've taken the helm and he's not, he's not controlling the ship, let him. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. It's good. There's peace there. Give him control.